0: Welcome to the Cattle Call Podcast. Today we're starting uh, another uh, research call with Dan Macon. If you haven't heard about his uh, career call, go back to our previous episode and and listen to it. It was a very, very nice and fun episode. So before we call Dan, let me go ahead and call Brooke. Hello,
1: Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? Doing great, thanks. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call.
2: (laughs) Great, great. Hello, Dan. Good morning. How are you? good good how are you doing doing great doing great
0: great so for those of you who are listening to this episode again i will encourage you to go back uh, to our previous episode and listen about dan's career uh was a very uh fun talk and and he also gives a a brief overview about the ship industry uh in california and and some some steps that he see as as a future of of the industry as well is it it was really nice, so I encourage you to go there in industry today uh, to go there and listen. Sorry. So today we we are going to talk about uh, a little bit different uh, industry. I think Dan has done a lot of research not only in the sheep industry but also in the cattle industry. So, Brooke, what are what are the, the things that that we have, that we are going to talk about today?
1: So today we're going to talk about something I'm pretty excited about. I follow Dan on Instagram, so I've seen a little bit of the work that he's done with this. Um, but Dan has done some work with Livestock Guardian Dogs, um, so I'm excited to get started. So Dan, could you just tell us about the project and how you came up with the idea to do it?
2: Absolutely. So it's it's kind of a multi-pronged project um, looking at, at guardian dogs in a variety of different ways. But one of the the kind of the context that this grew out of was the fact that here in Northern California, um, we've got predators that that we have no opportunity to use lethal control with. So mountain lions are specially protected in California, um, and they certainly like to eat lambs and and sheep and goats and and calves. Um, we've got black bears, which are now um to some degree protected. And then just to the north of my counties, we now have several established um, packs of gray wolves coming back into the state, um, which are also specially protected. And so uh, producers are looking for tools that um, will protect livestock, um, but kind of fit the rest of their operations. We have used guard dogs in our sheep operation for over 15 years. And one of the things I realized when I came to extension is that when I took other producers out to see our guard dogs work, um, if it was during the day, what the guard dogs are mostly doing is finding a shady spot and sleeping. (laughs) And if you point that out to a producer that's never used a dog, their first question is, do they actually do anything? (laughs) Do these work? So um, started thinking about some ways that we could demonstrate how these dogs work and what they're doing when we're not out there watching them nap in the shade. And um, had the opportunity to work with some other producers and and researchers in other parts of the West. And we developed a program where um, we built our own GPS collars so that we could track the dog's movements um, like every 15 minutes, 24 hours a day but then also looking to see what kind of predators were in the environment where we were putting these dogs. And so um, working with another advisor, Carolyn Whitesell, who's a a uh, human wildlife interactions advisor in the Bay area. We came up with a, a research program that allows us to, to kind of systematically and objectively document the predators in the environment. And then, track what the dogs are doing in response to those predators, but also trying to figure out, you know, are the dogs having any negative impacts on wildlife? Are the dogs pushing predators onto the neighbor's property versus just making sure that they're not eating lamb or or goat or, or beef? And so that project's now been going on, I think about four years, um, which has been really, really interesting. Um, One of the questions, and and stop me if I'm rambling, but one of the questions that producers have um, for us is, how do I know there's even predators in my environment? You know, I'm I'm paying for all this dog food and paying for the vet bills. Is it really worth it? And I think that's part of what we're trying to answer with with this project as well.
1: It's really, really interesting. And I think a really prevalent issue that people are seeing. So I think something... This information that's going to be really valuable to people. Um, so you said this has been going on for about four years. Do you have any results that you could share with us that you've seen in those four years? Yeah, we do.
2: We do. Um, a couple of, th- of the kind of the interesting things that we're finding is that um there one of the ways we've designed this project is to look at wildlife presence before, during and after grazing is in that environment. And um, one of the interesting things that we're finding is that prior to the arrival of the livestock and the dogs, we see a lot more what we call mesopredators. So we'll see coyotes and foxes and bobcats. And then while the sheep and the dogs are present in the environment, we see very few of those. Um, And then it takes a little while for those predators to come back after after the dogs and the sheep have moved on. So there's kind of this residual impact, I I suspect, of having the dogs in that environment. We have not documented any direct confrontations or interactions between predators and dogs, um, which I think is also interesting. Um, So I I think it's, it's more that the dogs are filling a niche in that environment while they're there with the sheep that would otherwise be filled by these canine predators or, or mountain lions and bears, as the case may be. Um, But they're not fighting them off or, you know, doing those types of things, even in open range environments where we've tracked them up, up on national forest land. I think it's more just the presence of the dog um, than, than actually fighting predators off. We do see some, um some impacts to some degree on, on smaller wildlife. You know, if a if a raccoon or a possum um wanders into where the sheep are, the dogs will take those those animals. Um, and we have I've actually witnessed my guard dogs trying to chase a river otter out of the pasture. And if you haven't been around river otters, they're They're mean animals. (laughs) They won't kill a sheep, but they're definitely mean animals. Um, So I think that part's been really interesting. I think we've confirmed some things that we assumed, too, that, you know, the dogs are much more active at night, um, which you would expect. But we've also found, um, and this is in particular with an open range flock up in the mountains, that... um, this particular band of sheep, about 1200 sheep, had two dogs with it. And one dog was, would patrol much more widely during the day and come back and stay with the sheep at night. And the other dog would patrol more widely at night and come back to the sheep during the day. So I thought those roles might be more fluid, but at least for this particular group of dogs, um, it was pretty well-defined roles that they were they one was the night shift and one was the day shift which i think is an inter- interesting dynamic as well
0: no that's that's nice one one qu- couple questions i was taking notes here and I, I i don't know anything about guardian dogs so the questions that i assume people who are listening are the same but like the, the the question that i have is when you talk about a guardian dog are you thinking about a specific breed and how how to choose a good guardian dog uh and like is is there like okay this for this specific region i like this breed or whatever how how do you great take question. the decision
2: great question um there are specific breeds um in in this country most of the breeds are what we call big white dogs um so a lot of a lot of folks have heard of Great Pyrenees, which is is one of the breeds that we use. Um the other breeds are they're all from from Asia or southern Europe. um so the other breeds that are common here in California are Akbosh, which are dogs from Turkey, um Marimas, which are from Italy um, Anatolian shepherds, which are also from Turkey. And then we're seeing some new breeds, um, Kangals, which are a Turkish dog, um, Transmontanos, which are from Portugal, um, and Karakachans, which I think are from Bulgaria, somewhere southern Eastern Europe. Uh, But they're all specific breeds, and they've been selected over thousands of years um, to be trustworthy with livestock. Um, they don't have typically don't have much prey drive, and so they're not they're not hunting dogs. They, I think, they think of themselves as sheep that happen to have big teeth. Um, and I think in selecting a dog, just like with any any kind of working breed dog, it's really important to select puppies from a working environment. That there are there are pet Pyrenees, and they're great. They can be great pets but that's not the genetics that I'm looking for as a sheep producer. So I want, I want a puppy where I can see its parents working and where the puppy was whelped, where it can smell and hear livestock before its eyes are open. I want it to be comfortable in that environment and, and kind of seeking that environment. Um, And I, you know, there's some things that we can do to kind of test a potential pup, um, if you roll a ball by a border collie pup, they're probably going to chase the ball. If you roll a ball by a guard dog pup, they should ignore it because they don't have that prey drive that a, a hunt, a, a dog that's herding or hunting would have. Um, and, and, you know, like with most pups, you, you don't want the pup that's always hanging in the back in a litter, but you also probably don't want the pup that as soon as you come in runs up and jumps on you. You want that one that's kind of checking you out, not afraid of you, but, but not wanting to be with people all the time too.
0: That's nice. I remember when I was younger, my dad had some sheep back home and one of the dogs learned how to kill them just for fun. Yeah, And and then like, he wouldn't, he would like just play with them. And suddenly like there were a couple animals that just because the dog was yeah. playing with them and, and that turned up in being a bad, bad that's
2: idea. that's not an ideal situation. <laughs> no, no.
0: Uh one one last question that I have here is um we talk about like uh kind of how to select a dog, but how many dogs should I have am like is, is it's the size <laughs> of the herd or is the size of the farm like is, is there a magic number, probably not, but like a goal number that that we should think
2: about? I'm going to give you the classic cooperative extension answer. Okay. <laughs> it, it depends. It depends. No, that's a, that's a great question. And lots of folks have that question. And it, it really does depend on a variety of factors. Um, you know, how complex is the habitat that you're operating in? Um, And so if there's lots of cover for predators and and lots of predators on the landscape, you probably need more dogs than you would on the alfalfa in the Imperial Valley, right? Different, different environment. Part of it has to do with the relationship between the production calendar that that producer is operating with and the time of year that the predators are dealing with. So for example, um, we lamb, our operation, we lamb in late February and March. So there's not a lot of natural prey out there for the predators. That's a, a pretty rough time of year to be a coyote in our environment. And so as a consequence, we we need more dogs per sheep than we might need if we were lambing at a different time of year. Conversely, this outfit up north of Truckee that we've worked with on this research Um, they have in their bands of sheep, they have, they run, um, three bands up there, 1200 ewes per band and they're all dry ewes. So there's no lambs with them. They're dry ewes that can get out and move and, and are mature sheep. 1200 sheep, they use one or two dogs per band with great effect. And so that's because there's lots of other things for the predators up there to be eaten in July and August. Um, the sheep are pretty self-sufficient at that point. They're not trying to protect lambs. And so it, it really depends on on kind of where you are and when you're there, how many dogs is ideal.
0: That's that's. An, is there any difference between male and female then? Like, do, is there you usually try to choose one or, or the other?
2: Yeah, there are some some differences. Um, One of the things we're we're hoping to be able to look at is where we have wolves. Is there value in having intact males? You know, does that make those dogs a little more aggressive and protective? And that's something we're we're still working on how to ask that question. Um, Neutered males tend to roam less generally. Um, And so for the most for kind of the run of the mill operation a neutered male is probably a pretty good option. Females can also be really good. One of the things that we have found occasionally with intact females that haven't been spayed is that the first time that they experience lambing or kidding their maternal instincts go into overdrive. And so they may try to take that lamb from a ewe um, because they, they want to take care of it. And generally, they grow out of that. you know once the first lamb hits the ground they're all over it. Once mm. there's seventy five or a hundred lambs being born a day, they realize, "Oh my God, I can't deal with this and and then it resolves itself, but that's something something that that we try to look for and and help a dog work through too. That's that's nice. I think those are all all of my questions, Brooke.
1: <laughs> so looking at this project, you're working with livestock, you're working with wildlife, and now you've kind of added a third variable and they're working with the dogs <laughs> as well. So could you talk about just a couple of the challenges uh you had with this project?
2: Yeah, that's a a great question. I think I think the overriding challenge is just as you described. How do you control all of those variables, right? What are you actually testing? Um, I think that gets further complicated if you're working with a producer who wants to be the control group, who wants to to have the unprotected sheep to see if the dogs are effective with the other group of sheep. And so I think what we decided early on is that we don't want to put anybody in that position, that we want to understand the mechanisms of how these dogs work, rather than do dogs work or not. Um, And so we've really tried to analyze behavior and and kind of relationship to the environment, um, movement patterns, kind of those types of things, rather than group A has a dog and didn't lose any lambs. Group B has no lambs because they have no dog and all the lambs got killed. So I think that's, that's one of the challenging Issues. I think the other piece that you alluded to is that every environment is different, even, even on neighboring ranches. So my whole production system and our operation is geared towards the fact that I can't be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so we use electric fence. We're moving sheep frequently. We've got dogs with them. All of those things contribute to our ability to protect our sheep from predators. The neighbor may have hardwire fences, may live on the property, be there most of the time. Um, They may shoot at coyotes where we don't shoot at coyotes. So how does that interaction change, um, change the effectiveness of the tools that we use versus the tools the neighbor uses? And then I think lastly, um, we call these tools, for lack of a better term, but they're biological systems. You know, the dogs are making decisions every day. The predators are making decisions every day. People say that, that sheep are stupid, but sheep are making decisions every day as well. <laughs> and all of that dynamic changes um, kind of the interactions with predators and the interactions with the environment. I think kind of where we've landed is that there's, there are some ways to test some of these questions, but there's also a real need to objectively document case studies where these tools have worked and where they haven't worked so that we begin to build this larger database of, of all these different variables that we can can help people look at pieces of our research and say, that kind of fits my operation. This This is different. Um, and help them kind of navigate those questions a little differently.
1: So then along those lines um, of just continuing to document so that people have something to look at that might be similar to them, what is next for this type of research in the future?
2: Oh, that's a good question. There's a couple of things that really interest me. Uh, We are doing a, a demonstration of how to bond these dogs with cattle um, it's done a lot in other parts of the world, but not, not real common here. So I think there's a need to do more of that and figure out, um, not only how the, how to bond the dogs with cattle, but how to get the cows to accept the dog. Um, it goes both ways. I think one of the things I, this is, is kind of going back to, to just being observant and and kind of thinking about things that we all see in our day-to-day work, um, when I collared the dogs that were in Truckee this year, I met the the operator at their shipping corrals over in, in uh, Virginia city, Nevada. And I was there when they brought these sheep into the corrals. So like any animal, you know, coming into the corrals is kind of a high stress situation crowded together. You're going into a, a novel environment. And I watched these sheep approach the corral And all of a sudden there was one of the guard dogs that was with this band out in front and he calmly walked into the corral and the lead sheep saw the dog and said, must be okay. And came in, followed him. One of the things I think it'd be really interesting to do is to measure stress levels in protected flocks versus unprotected flocks and relate that to grazing behavior. My my theory is that sheep that are with a dog are going to go into area range areas to graze that they wouldn't go to otherwise. And so I think relating the dogs to kind of grazing efficiency and efficient use of our resources um, would be a really interesting question to try to address.
1: That's great, thank you. That's a really exciting project, and I look forward to seeing all of the work you guys are doing on Instagram and reading about it later. <laughs> that, that
0: that's really good. What I was just like, Dan was talking about this thing about sheep, and and I, I there are a lot of interesting growing in, on virtual fencing and things like that. Yeah, I was just thinking should be also look like using dogs as our virtual fencing or things like that, so they could. Take the take the sheep to places that they wouldn't go, and maybe even keep them there yeah. for, for a, a time so they can graze there. That's that's nice. Uh, yeah. So, Brooke, any any final question, Anything?
1: Nope. That was it for me.
0: Great. Then any any final uh, message on this topic?
2: I would. The only thing I would add is that, from a purely selfish standpoint, getting to be out in rangeland. Watching these dogs is a great anecdote to having to be in the office. So, <laughs> if nothing else, it gets me out of the office, out in the open, spending time outside, and it's a that's that's been as as much fun as any of the research that we're doing. Really, <laughs> great. no, that
0: that's nice. Then, uh, last thing: if our listeners are interested in learning more about this, is there any like? In the previous episode, you mentioned about your Twitter, your Instagram group just mentioned. Can you just tell us again how to find more about your work and perhaps something on on these guardian dog studies that you guys are are currently doing?
2: Yeah, definitely. So um, we have documented a lot of this work on my blog on ranching in the Sierra Foothills. Um, a A lot of documentation on this cattle bonding project that we're doing. Um, if folks are going to the California Cattlemen's Association meeting in uh, Reno next month in December, we will have a poster on that project um, available nice. there. And and that we'll put that poster on our website after the meeting as well. And then I, on my webpage, um, if you look for, for livestock um, in Placer County Cooperative Extension, um, I have a, a livestock protection tools page on my website that has a lot of information about livestock guardian dogs in particular um, about picking puppies and and how to start them on livestock those types of things
0: no that's that's super good okay no thank you very much then uh, i appreciate your taking the time we'll leave all of this information in the description of, of this episode if our listener wants to to reach out to you and, and learn more about this so Thank you very much. Thank you to, to our listener for listening to us. And remember, it's always a good time for a kettle and
2: also a sheep call. <laughs> 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 Thank
0: you, Dan. <laughs>
2: Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Lots of fun. Thank you.